Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. much. I, I've got a crazy voice today, so I'm going to apologize in advance. Uh, in fact, I gave somebody my notes and I said, you better learn this message because uh, uh, I, I might not be able to preach it next mess- next service. So <laughs> um, well, I've been at a thing that we call the return and we take 12 men up into the mountains and they have an absolutely incredible encounter with God while they're up there. And it's a bunch of men and the mountains echo really good and I like to be loud and obnoxious. So my voice is gone. And uh, so, hey, I just want to say, there, so there's 12 guys coming back and what's so incredible is every one of those guys represents a family. Uh, every one of those guys represents more than just themselves. Coming back, just, just it's truly transformed by the power of God. And, and I want to invite any men in the room uh, that, that you're, you're wondering, is there more for me? Is there, is there, is there something more for my life? I, I just want to say, for me, I, I, I've been in church a long time. I may not look old, but to, to half of you in the room, I am old. The other half, I'm a whippersnapper. But I'll tell you this, I've lived for God a long time. I've gone through formal theological training, done a lot of things. The single most impactful thing I've done was going through the return. And I wanna invite you men Come on out and be a part of that. We do it twice a year. Very, very small. It's 12, 12 guys. Basically, what happens is we have a, a first to know list that's on our website somehow. And I don't ask me how. Maybe the QR code. Maybe somebody that knows what's going on. And we just blast it out to everybody. And the first to register are, are in. And it, it fills up very fast. Um, and so we just did our fourth returns. So we have 48 families in this church. Uh, have men in them that have gone through the return. And that's just an exciting thing. It's an exciting thing. Um, every, every year that we do something like the trunk or treat, I have somebody that, they're like, Pastor, don't you realize, come on, come on, don't you realize it's, it's uh, celebrating evil and, and we shouldn't be doing that. And I totally agree. I, in fact, this morning, as I was leaving our house, driving through the neighborhood, I was seeing houses getting decorated for Halloween. And I just, it's not, I do not like scary movies. I do not like scary things, um, but most importantly, because I truly believe the spirit world is real. Amen. So then your question would be, Pastor, why do we do trunk or treat? And here's the reason why. Because Christians have hijacked festivals for years. This is what Christmas on December 25th is, a pagan holiday celebrating pagan themes 
And Christians said, no, even though our Savior was born in spring, we're going to steal your stupid holiday and we're going to make it about Jesus. Yeah. This is what Easter is. Easter, the, it's, it's a, it's a origin is, is a pagan holiday. It's, it's the pagan holiday of fertility, Ishtar, the, god of, the goddess of fertility. Um, but don't you know that in the word of God, people of God have, have stolen what the enemy used for bad. They've stolen and used it for good. This is, this is, there's a whole book of the Bible called Esther. Do you know what Esther is? That wasn't her name. It was a, a woman going through a whole year-long bachelorette deal. And so she gave herself a stage name, Ishtar, goddess of fertility. And she won that junk. And she used what the enemy meant for evil to glorify God. So this is why as a church, we're not going to be gross and nasty and all that kind of stuff. But we are going to create a safe place where some kids can come. And I'll tell you what, we've got families that have come to church because they brought their kids for a safe place to get candy. Because they're going to do it anyway. And we're going to use what the enemy meant for evil to glorify God. So I said that to preemptively stop the emails. There you go. If, if you do have an email, my email address is clark at thecelebration.church. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, so we got that going on. Another really fun thing is this. So uh, la two, or last year, we, um, we did a Legacy Sunday. So we, we, as a church, came together, and we raised a massive amount of money to move into our new auditorium space. And um, just super exciting. Um, if maybe you haven't been here that long, I just like to share that behind this wall is 16,000 square feet of empty space that we, uh, we're currently getting the permits wrapped up, uh, the project's out to bid. Uh, it takes a long time to get there, but we're finally, we're finally getting there uh, to be able to build a new auditorium on that side of that wall, which for our team will be fantastic because they won't have to do three services. <laughs> but the other thing that's going to happen, some of you guys are like, oh, that's weird. Uh, here, here's the deal. We're also going to be putting in new restrooms in the building, so they'll be basically where this section is. So you guys are right in the middle of the toilets right now. And uh, you might say, why would we build more toilets? That's, that's a pretty expensive line item. And here's the reason why. Um, I, I love our building. It's a gift from God. But our restrooms are smack dab in the middle of our children's wing, and we want to be able to block off the kids' wing and make it completely secure so that no weirdos get back there. And, uh, and everybody's got a place. So, <clears throat> so we're doing that. Uh, typically when a church does a, a we, we call this in churchies, churchy, church, is that a church, uh, what's it called? Christianese. Church, I don't know. We do what's called a building uh, or a capital campaign or building fund. Typically a church would do this. It's very normal. So uh, basically they ask people for, for three years to commit uh, above and beyond what they would typically give towards being able to fund that sort of an effort because that's, that's a big budget item. And we as a church decided we did not want to do that. We, we wanted to do it differently. And, um, and so what we're doing is just every year, just know this is going to be part of the rhythm of the church and it's going to go towards bigger capital type projects like the, the normal uh, offering and uh, tithes and offering that come in. They fund the operation of the church. They make it happen. But those big offerings are what allow the church to dream big um, and, and to, to make big moves. And so 
Um, so the second week in November, we're going to be doing a Legacy Sunday every, every year. And, um, and, and the idea is this, is, is I don't want to do a three-year capital campaign and say, I need you to uh, tell us where you're going to be financially in three years, because that's unrealistic. And it's not fair, because I know many people that said they'd be able to do this, and then, then just life changed. And then they felt guilty every time they came to church, because they felt like somebody was asking where the money was. And uh, can, I, can I tell you, this is not about your money at all. God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. And, um, and so we're just going to do it once a year. And, and I'm just, my, 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 my request is that you would get with whoever you need to be with to make financial decisions. So young husbands, that means your wife. And get with them, and I want you to pray and ask God, what does it look like for us to, to do the best we can this year? And if this isn't your church, this is not for you, um, but we don't do, like, video announcements right now, so <laughs> you're getting it. So um, just, just get with whoever needs to be part of that, that conversation, pray, and ask God, what's the best we can do this year? And for some of you, that may be more. For some of you, that may be less, and that's fine. Um, we all come in. Just uh, not, not an equal gift, but equal sacrifice. And, um, and so I'm just really excited about that. That's going to be second week of November. So you got a little time to pray and, and, uh, and seek God on that. <clears throat> Is that all right? Yeah. Good. I'm glad it's all right. <laughs> I was hoping you would give me permission. I'm going <laughs> to. Thank you. This is our financial administrator, Jordan. She's amazing. Man, she, she does such a good job um, just keeping all of our finances in order. And thank you. Seriously, thank you for your excellence. Just ridiculous. Um, and, and a new grad that, uh, that wanted to use her, her gifting in the kingdom of God. So thank you. Uh, we love that. <clears throat> um, let's preach. You guys ready? I, I've, I've, got a, I've got a sore voice from, from uh, screaming in the mountains. But um, uh, so it's going to sound like I'm more intense than I mean to be. <laughs> Come back next service. You may hear Clark. Okay, here we go. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 says this. <clears throat> Samuel then took a large stone and he placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana. And he named it Ebenezer. Anybody recognize the name Ebenezer? Ebenezer Scrooge, right? So he, he named it Ebenezer, which means the stone... Of help, so he created a monument and he called it. This is this stone represents help, and then he says this. Up until this point, the Lord has helped us. And so Samuel is making a monument in in the life of Israel that that demonstrates that that up until this place in our lives, up until this point in our history, up until this point geographically, God has helped us. It's important that we build monuments in our lives. We live in a generation that, is, that, is, that has amnesia. We, we don't remember what happened a generation ago or, or uh, even to our parents. And, and I want to say this. Uh, make sure that you pass on those monumental places where God helped your family to your children. Your kitchen table is a beautiful place to be able to share with your kids how God brought mama and daddy through. 
Like it's a beautiful thing for a grandmother and a grandpa to say, I want the kids at the house and I just want to share with them how God has been faithful to us through the years. This is part of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit. And then he says this, and you shall begin to recount the Lord when you walk and when you wake up and when you lay down and teach it to your kids, bind it on your forehead and bind it on your hands. I'm just saying it is is God's desire for us to create monuments in our life that we share with those around us. And um, it goes on in verse 13. It says, so the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel again for some time. And then it gives us that length of time. It says, and throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. So for the rest of Samuel's life, God held this nation at bay that was invading the people of God. And the Israelites' villages near Ekron and Gath and the Philistines that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel, along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days. The Philistines are a, a unique people that short, sort of show up. Here's the thing. One of the, the, the most accurate um, archaeological reference that we have in the world for, like, for any culture, the, the most accurate archaeological reference guide is the Bible. If you were told by a professor somewhere that it's fairy tales and stories, that's just not scientifically accurate. The Bible has proven time and time again, anytime it says that something happened in a certain place, we find that it happened in that certain place. Anytime the Bible says a, a type of people existed, an archaeologist or scientists have said, no, that's not true, those people never even existed, Eventually, we discover those people. The Babylonians are a great example of that. People said, oh, the Bible must not be true because it talks about Babylonians, and they weren't a real people. Turns out, not only were they a real people, but your kids are now taught about them in the sixth grade. Mesopotamia and the Babylonians, well, because the Bible is very true. And so uh, the Philistines are a group of people that we would not know about if we didn't have our Bible. Our Bible describes this group of people that come in from the, the coastal area of the Mediterranean Sea, and they, they, they move into, the, um, into the, the inland area and begin invading. So they're coming from the ocean and invading the land. Uh, the Mediterranean Sea, uh, it, it looks like a sea. And, um, and on the this north and south facing uh, coastal line is where they landed, and, and they began to push into the area of Israel. And the reason was it, it's, it's the only trading route that combines Africa, Europe, and Asia. If you want to get to any of those three continents, you must pass through those valleys. And so uh, controlling them gives you great power. And uh, they were people that were, they were very advanced, much more advanced than the Israelites. They, they had weapons. They, had, uh, they were, uh, you know, moving into the Iron Age when the Israelites were still in Bronze Age. They, they had chariots. In fact, the Bible tells us during the time when the Israelites had conflict with the Philistines, the Israelites only had two swords in the whole nation. So when we read about stories like David and Goliath, that, that's a pretty big deal that they would go to battle against a well-armed army, and there's only two guys with a Glock. That's a miracle that they would win. And 
these people had come in, and the Bible's telling us about this time when God holds them at bay. He pushes them back, and not just pushes them back, he gives the people of God the things that were once taken from them. I'm just thankful that God is on our side. I'm just thankful. Like, if it had not been for Jesus in my life, there were some things that had been taken from me. I know there's some other people in this house. There was some, some innocence that was taken. There was some, some confidence that was taken. There was some ground that was taken from your life. But if it had not been for the grace of Jesus, where would we be? I, uh, I grew up in like I grew up in like a Pentecostal, uh, like a small old Pentecostal church. You know, you know the kind where like you got like the, the old church mother that's on a, maybe you don't know. I'm going to explain it. The, you, got, you got the old church mother on the, on the, what's the thing that does this? The um, accordion. Yes. The, Kurt, you have an accordion. Uh, yes. And so we, we need an accordion on the worship band. Kurt. And, um, but they had the person on the accordion because, because here's the deal, like, if you can't play the actual keys, you can play the accordion. You just got to push one button and go like this, you know, and that, that's the kind of church I grew up in. And we would sing this, this song, well, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me, took back what he stole from me. Some people don't, took back what he stole from me, I went to the enemy's camp and I, Took back what he stole from me. He's under my feet. He's under my, that's how he does it. Some of you guys are like, you are in weird church. That's okay, you were in weird church too. Yours, yours was weird like this. <laughs> Mine was weird like this. <laughs> and, hey, uh, and so, but, but here's, the point of the song is beautiful. The point is that like, God takes back the things in our life that are taken from us. And that's a powerful thing. I just want to say, like, whatever it is in your life that has been, been removed through the course of life or through the interactions you've had, maybe, maybe you've been walking through some low valleys. I want you to know that God's intention for your life is to bring back everything that was stolen from you. And the Bible tells us that in Samuel's lifetime, they didn't have to fight the Philistines Again, and this is an important thing because in this moment, they had been struggling with the Philistines for generations. For a long time, they'd been struggling with these people. The Philistines had come into Israel and they had actually taken the Ark of the Covenant, which was a, a piece of furniture that God's presence was centered in. And they had taken it from the, the tabernacle or the temple of God and brought it back to their own lands. And, and the Bible tells us that they, they set this Ark of the Covenant up in front of a couple of their own gods. They, they sort of added him as a collection into their own temples. And the Bible tells us that when the Ark of the Covenant was inside a room with a deity's a statue called Dagon, that God crushes that thing. And when it's in another room, God breaks that, that, that other statue. And, and so the, the Philistines, they realize that, that this ark, whatever's going on here, this box with the presence of God, it cannot stay or it will continue to crush the idols in our lives. And so they, they send it back to the people of God. And, and what's going on in this story 
is that 20 years later, after the Ark of the Covenant has been returned into the promised land, the people of God are still struggling with the Philistines. What I'm saying is that they had the presence of God, but they did not have the freedom of God. They had the very presence of God Almighty in their midst, but they were still enslaved and they had still lost ground to the enemy. I just wonder how many of us have been living for God, maybe two months, two years, 20 years, been in the presence of God, but have not experienced the freedom of God. And so our church life experience looks like putting on a mask and showing up in church to play a part, pretending as though we experience freedom. But the truth is we're in the presence. We're around the periphery of all that God is doing, but not experiencing the freedom power that is in the spirit of God. I don't know about you, but I just don't want to live in the presence of God and still shackled. Uh, As for me and as for my kids and as for my wife and for all of my grandkids as they grow, uh, I don't have grandkids yet, but when they show up, I want them to live free in the power of God. I want them to be free. Because if we're not careful... We can receive the free gift of acceptance by God, the free gift of his righteousness, the grace of God in our lives, and never access the power of it, having a form of godliness, but denying the power that's there. And so we have Christians hobbling around. I go to church every Sunday. I bounce from church to church to church looking for something more. And I'm just telling you, there is more. And it looks like freedom that is in Christ Jesus. It looks like 12 men that will be here next service that were up on a mountain that experienced God. They've been walking around for 20 years with the presence of God and not the power of God. Those 12 men, when they show up, they'll see, you'll see the guys with the power of God in their lives. The deal is this, is, is we all want, we all love the story of Samuel building this altar and saying, God's power has brought us this far. Like it's a, God's, God's done an incredible work. We all love that. We all want that. But the truth is that's just the end of the chapter, There's a whole lot that happens before that. There's there's a lot that happens before, and and it looks like the process of God, because we love the promises of God. I want you to know your Bible's full of promises to you. We love the idea of the promises of God, but the way the promises of God work is not you name it and now it exists. That's not how the promises of God work. Every time you look in your scripture, the promises of God are always attached to the process of God. 
They're always attached to obedience to him, to following a simple process. It could be a man that was blind and Jesus comes and he's going to give this man sight. And he spits in mud and he rubs it in his eyes and then says, now go stumble your way down to a pool and you're going to wash this out. Jesus could have said, be healed. But Jesus says, no, there's a process I need you to follow. You've got a promise. Just follow the process and you'll find the promise. It's, it's a man named Lazarus that was dead and in a tomb. And Jesus, he, he tells him, he said, there's going to be a process. We could just kind of abracadabra, boom, there you go. But he's got more purpose than just, just feeding into the things. Instead, he wants to develop stuff inside of us. And that happens through a, a process. And so it looks like saying, roll the tomb away from Lazarus's tomb. Now take the, the rags off of this man and he's going to be set free. It looks like a man named Naaman who was a leper. He, he had this skin disease, and he was told to go dip seven times in a, po- in a pool. He had a promise. The promise was God was going to heal him, but there's still a, there's a process. And, and if we're not careful, what we do is we compare ourselves to other people, and we say, man, I just I wish God blessed them in a way. I just wish he would bless me. Like they just... Like maybe you're, you're just struggling in your relationships and you're like, man, I just, I wish God would be faithful to my marriage like he's faithful to their marriage. I, I, I wish, I wish my financial situation looked different. And I, and I get that. Like I'm a preacher. I get that one. And like we, we go through that, we go through that process. But, but the truth is, is that God is, he's no respecter of people. They don't have blessings in their life because God likes them more. They don't have the marriage that you wish you had because God likes them more and he's blessing them more. God is a respecter of principle. There's a, Jesus Christ frees us from all of our sins through what was a process. Humbling himself to the point of a man, even surrendering himself on a cross. This is a process because there was a promise. In fact, the Bible says, for the joy that, there's a promise set before him. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because there was a promise, but there's a process that leads to it. And now you and I have free access to God because Jesus was faithful to a process. About twice a year, uh, maybe less than that. Let me rephrase that. <clears throat> about twice, no, about once every three years, I'll go to the gym. And uh, I, love, I love going to the gym because in my mind, in my mind, I'm still like 18 years old and, and like swell up fast. You know what I'm saying? So come on, I got some men that know what, you, what I'm talking about. Like in your mind, you, you don't have the extra stuff going on. And, and, and I go to the gym and I'll see these other guys. I'm like, ah, they're all right. You give me three months, I'll, I'll be bigger than that. The truth is I don't go more than twice in a row once every three years. Like, Aaron, I love you, but can you just flex for me? I'm like, your, your arms are... She said, no. I mean, this is, I mean, you see these big dudes at the gym, and they didn't get there. Some of you are like, big, big, I don't want to be a big dude. Okay, you see these skinny girls with the thin waist at the gym. They didn't get there by going twice, once every six years. They go to that gym every day. 
When they have something better to do, they still go to the... When they have better food in front of them, they still choose the healthy food. When they have options, they like when it's fun, they go. When it's not fun, they go. Why? Because that bulking, that, that strength you see in them, that's over a process. Uh, that that go, getting on JE Fit and finding you the, the beach, gonna get your summer beach body fit. You can download the app, but there's a process. Same thing goes in the presence of God. <clears throat> because we really like setting up the monument and saying, God has been with us thus far. What we struggle with is, is getting there. Here's what it says at the beginning of the chapter in, in verse 3. Then Samuel said to all of the people of Israel, if you want to return to the Lord with all of your hearts, if you want transformation in your life, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth, they would take the, it was basically like a totem pole. These, these tall, tall poles that represented a, a deity. And this has got to get rid of this stuff and turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. He's saying, you've got to follow the process. And then he will rescue you from the Philistines. And so the Israelites got rid of their image of Baal and, and the Ashtoreths and worshiped only the Lord. Let me say this. If you, if you want to go beyond just experiencing the, the presence of God and you want the transformational power of God in your life, you must examine your hearts Preacher, are you saying I need to work my way into salvation? I'm not talking about salvation. You're saved because Jesus was faithful. But if you're not faithful to Jesus' faithfulness, you will not experience the freedom that is available to you. So examine your hearts. Because can I tell you, that the truth is it's, it's always been a heart issue. It's not your crazy aunt. It's your heart. It's not that he won't come and say sorry. It's that your heart won't forgive. It's like it's not that they did you wrong. It's that your heart is still clinging to, to bitterness. I'm saying it's always a heart issue. And if you want transformation in your life, you've got to examine your heart. He says, examine your hearts. You gotta, you gotta search your hearts. This is what King David says. He says, search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Test me and know uh, my anxious thoughts. Anybody have anxious thoughts? David's not saying anxious thoughts are sin. He's saying, God, look in them and find the part. Like, what's the root of these anxious sins? I wanna surrender that to you, or these anxious thoughts, I wanna surrender that. He says, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. Because life happens and we get anxious and that's not sin. But sometimes there's secret stuff behind it we just didn't know about. And for these guys, he tells them to get rid of their idols. And, and when I say idols, everybody's, you know, oh, okay, that's cool. They were superstitious and they had like, they're doing like voodoo in their house or something. Like, that's weird. 
Right. But we all have idols. Because when I say idol, we don't mean some deity that you believe in. Like maybe for some of you that is the case. But an idol is anything that you set or prioritize above God. Anything that you put above God, that you rely on more than God, that you turn to before God, that's an idol. And so an idol could be a career. An idol could be relationships. An idol could be your children. It could be Spinning around in circles, chasing every dream that your kids have without prioritizing God? That you've actually put their acceptance into college above God? Hey, preacher, don't talk about that. No. I've had people leave the church when I talk about stuff like that, but I'm saying, like, real living for God has practical implications. Anything, the pursuits, the desires, the hopes, the dreams, all of it must be surrendered to him. And so I would say to you, if you want freedom in your life, examine your heart and say, God, what am I putting above you? God, what is it that I'm trusting more than you? God, what is it that I'm allowing to have priority in my life? Because I don't want that to have the priority in my life. It goes on and it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Verse 5, so the next verse, it says, Then Samuel told them, Gather all of Israel to Mizpah. That's a fun, na- fun name. Like, if you're looking for a good name for a street, any land developers, Mizpah, that's a good one. And, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So he's, he's had them search their hearts. They've, they've examined to see if there's anything in them that is a priority before God. And then they pray. So they gathered at Mizpah, all the nation, in a great ceremony, Big church service, and here's how it describes it. They drew water from a well, and they poured it out before the Lord. That's weird. And also, they went without food all day, and they confessed that they had sinned against God. And it was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. I've heard people say this, that they, they, they desire to, to have influence in the kingdom of God. They have to, they've got a spiritual ambition. I, I want to do something in the kingdom of God. For Samuel, the influence arrived when he led other people to a place of consecration. When he led other people to a place of saying, I'm not going to put anything before God. It didn't, it didn't show up because he was gifted. It didn't show up because he was smart. It showed up because of consecration to God. I can preach jelly beans next week, okay? I just think we need transformation. I think we need people that really live for God and don't just pretend. I think, I think the greatest reason why our friends don't want to come to church is because they see half-hearted believers. And they're like, it's not changing your life. Why would I go? And I'm just saying, what would happen if we said, God, search me. If there's any idols in my life, remove those idols from my life because I want my life to make a difference in my family and my friends and my neighborhood. So he said, gathers them all. And then they pour out water. This is the weirdest thing. It says they poured out, poured out water. They just, 
<laughs> okay, we're going to have this great spiritual moment. And they dig water out of a well, and they're like, it's like one for the homies, but they're doing it for God. Or they're like, like what, is, what is that? Like, and if you think about it, there's other places in Scripture that talks about people pouring out water. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. There's this, this encounter with a prophet named Elijah he, that, again, the people of God were divided in their, their allegiance to God or to this, this other God called Baal. And, and, uh, and, and they were going back and forth. And so, so Elijah said, let's just bring all the prophets of Baal up on top of this mountain, and I'm going to show up on the top of the mountain, and we're going to pray to our gods. And whichever God, like, lights a fire on top of, like, our little uh, fire thing that we made, that's the real God. He says, whichever God answers by fire, that's what he says. And so these 400 prophets of this Baal, they, they get together and they start dancing around this, this large altar they'd created with, that they were offering to this God, Baal, asking that Baal would bring fire to this altar. And, um, and, and as they're dancing around, the Bible tells us they start cutting themselves. They become so desperate, they're like hurting themselves. And Elijah, uh, he, he's, a, he's a bit of a pot stirrer. And I love it because, so he tells him, he says, he says, uh, he says, maybe your God is hard of hearing. <laughs> he's like, he's like, maybe you just need to yell louder, right? Like you just, you just need to be a little louder. You need to do a little bit more and, and that doesn't help. And then he says this, he says, um, maybe he's, he's far, he's away. Maybe he's away. In, in English, it says, different translations say stuff like it's away, but that's not what it is in Hebrew. It's not away. Um, the, the translators are being kind. It's not a way. What it, he's, he's saying, maybe your God is occupado, right? Like, <clears throat> he's saying, maybe your God is, in the Hebrew, constipated. <laughs> I love it. He's like, maybe he's in the bath, like he's in the outhouse, and he's wanting to come help you, but he can't come help you. He's just got too much going on. Like, that's, that's what Elijah says. And, and, and they're, they're, they're dancing, nothing happens, and then Elijah comes over to his altar, just him, and he says, hey, before I pray, we're going to dump some water on this thing. And the Bible tells us that they do three, like, loads of water. He digs a trench around this, this uh, altar, and they fill the trench full of water, and they drench the altar, and God ignites a fire on it. But, but here's the deal. I've, I've been there. There's not still an altar there. Now they're on top of Mount Carmel. There's a, it's a, like a subdivision on top of the mountain. And I, I've been at the highest point of the mountain. Th there's no water. Now, now there is a stream on the other side of the mountain. There's a small stream. And so I've heard it preached that they went down to that stream and got the water. But remember, the reason they're searching out for God to bring fire is because they are in a drought that has lasted for years. That stream has no water in it. The stream is dried up and cracked. And from the top of the mountain, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. It's, it's, it's about several miles away. You can see it way off in the distance. And so perhaps, perhaps they walked all the way to the Mediterranean. So how do they get water? I, I've, I've got a hint. I've got an idea. And that's this, is that they had actually called all the people of the nation together on the top of the mountain. And every mom and every dad that had their family with them knew one thing. They were not going to be finding water on the top of a mountain in a drought. 
And so there's all these people standing around with bladders full of water. And so he says, hey, God's going to answer by fire, but first, the one thing you're trusting more than God right now, let's get rid of that. Because here's the deal. When you pour water on the ground, there's no recovering it. But once, once it goes on the ground, it, it was either used to sustain your life or to sustain the life of things that sustain you. But once it goes on the ground, it, it has no value to you anymore. And so they take all, and he says he does it three times. So just, and, and, and this is conjecture, but I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say he probably had to take up three offerings because somebody was holding out. <laughs> and they take the very thing that sustains life and dump it on the ground. And he prays a very short prayer, and the fire of God falls. But God doesn't stop there. Because then the Lord sends a torrential rain for every mama that poured out her baby's last drop, every husband that poured out what he had, every young, ambitious person didn't know how they're getting back off the mountain. God says, I'll get you off that mountain. I will bring the rain. Can I just tell you, as the band will come, that whatever you pour out before God is never wasted. And if you want transformation in your life, not just being around Christian-y things, but you want transformation in your life, it begins with searching your heart and pouring it out. It always begins with searching and pouring. It goes on. It says this. That just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, so the people have gone, they pour all the water out of the well. Just as he's sacrificing the burnt offering, those pesky Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown to such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. And the men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below Bethkar. None of us here really know the geography there. The point is, they cleaned house. And I, I love this idea that, that they had searched their heart God, I want more. Whatever I've made an idol in my life, I want to get rid of that. And then, whatever, not, not an idol, but whatever it is that I think sustains me more than you. Those relationships that I get more counsel or comfort from them than I, than I get from you. But whatever it might be, just pour it out. And it's at the very moment that Samuel is praying the Philistines come to attack because that's how the enemy is, people. Just when you're going all in, he shows up. And Samuel just keeps praying and the Lord turns them on each other. Last year we did this legacy offering I was talking about earlier and there was a, a family in the church, a young family that leaned in real heavy. leaned in, prayed about it, 
God, stretch our faith. God, open our hearts. And they leaned in. And it was not long after. And they got a, somebody's like, they got a check in the mail. No, they got a bill in the mail. A huge bill in the mail. Because years ago, like probably seven years ago, the wife had nearly died, was barely surviving in the hospital, and they, they didn't have the insurance and everything to make it work, and so they had been they had been working so hard to get rid of all these bills and to, to manage, and a surprise bill came out, and it was like, this is this much money, we're going to garnish your wages, we're basically shutting down your lives, and, and it was just, it was an unexpected, I remember talking to the wife, and, and she was, <laughs> it was, she was not feeling secure in that moment. Anybody know what that's like? She said, maybe we shouldn't have given. Maybe we shouldn't have given. I'm so angry right now. Because I, I did something that I thought was me being faithful to God's desire from my heart. And, it, and her husband was cool as a cucumber, and that made her more mad. Do you know what I mean? Isn't it a good thing that when one of us is down, the other one's up? And when then they're down, we're up. Just pray that you never end up. And I, t- I said, hey, well, I'm praying with you, and let's, let's figure this out. And, and prayed with them. And before we even had time to try to figure out a solution, they, they had raises financial raises. They had financial blessings in their life they did not expect to receive. And then even the person that had, had sent them that note came back and said, hey, we're actually going to change, we're going to change this whole thing around. Not only, not only did that whole situation flip upside down, but they were blessed in the middle of it. I'm just saying, God's not the kind of guy where you pour out your water and he just leaves it in the ground. He dumps rain on you you thought you wasted your water. Would you stand with me across the room? Would you just, just raise your hands? I just want to pray over you. God, you are good and you are faithful you are trustworthy. And even when our hearts are divided in our allegiances, you are always faithful to come back to us. You are always faithful to be with us. I pray right now that as hearts are turning, as minds are surrendered, that your sweet presence would fill the voids of our life. God, that as we turn towards you, that we would see transformation and change that only comes through following your principles and following your processes. Lord, I pray right now that fear would be conquered. Men and women in this room would walk in confidence before the God that has more than they'll ever need. Let me say it like this. Just kind of keep this heart posture right now. This is for maybe 
your first time Christian, or, or maybe you've been a believer for two days, two months, 20 years, but you would acknowledge that there are things in your life that you have prioritized above God. An idol. And you're ready to place him in his rightful position as Lord of your life. Not, not a consultant that comes in occasionally to fix our problems, but the everyday, all the time boss, the Lord. If that's you right now and, and you wanna reprioritize, put him as number one, would you just put your hand high in the air for me? Come on, I see that. I see some hands. I see some hands. Join me. What we're going to do is this. We're going to repent and we're going to believe. When we repent, we're going to repent for the things we have put before him. And we're going to put all of our faith and hope in him and set him in his rightful place. Pray with me like this. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I put before you. Sorry for the things that I prioritized above you and I relied on more than I relied on you. I'm turning from that now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus was faithful all the way to the point of the cross so that when I place my faith in him, I can be redeemed and set right with God. So right now, that's what I'm doing. Say these words with me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. We serve a good, faithful God. Let's respond. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.